0: We're going to hard right here. We're going to jump into the Bible. If if you've got your Bible, go to Romans 7. We're in a few weeks of going through Romans 6, 7, and 8, some of the kind of choice morsels of Bible in these three chapters. Um, But I want to start out in a maybe untraditional way. I want to put a quote, not from Romans 7, on on the board behind me, but... uh, a passage out of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, before we go there, I, I do want to um, say I'm not going to get all scary on you. Kids are welcome. Um, maybe you've read Je- Jekyll and Hyde or seen a movie about Jekyll and Hyde, but here, here's what's kind of behind the story of Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, um, Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote it, and by the way, I was introduced to this just this last week. I heard another preacher talking about this book. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. So I read the book. It's a short book. Uh, read the book and was also fascinated. Because Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, was raised in a very strict religious home, very hard kind of Presbyterian home, especially his nanny, very wealthy family. His nanny was very strict and very Presbyterian and kind of forced religion on him. And so you see this conflict in him because later in life he would go on to completely cast off any form of Christianity. In fact, started a club, and the opening kind of thing you had to promise as you entered into this club is you have to disregard everything your parents ever taught you, right? So when he gets to his early 20s, he casts off religion, casts off Christianity, calls himself an atheist. But this conflict, this war between this very deeply anchored religious part and this part that just wanted to cast it all off kind of comes through in this book. So in the last chapter of Jekyll and Hyde, he's writing this letter Uh, explaining to a dear friend uh, this conflict and why the Jekyll and Hyde whole story emerges. So I'm going to throw this on the screen so you can follow along. But here's here's what Dr. Jekyll is saying, the character Dr. Jekyll is saying. He says, in this case, I was driven to reflect deeply on that hard law of life, which lies at the root of religion. So keep that in mind. He's saying there's this hard law of life, that's, that's what's behind religion, the root of religion, and is one of the most plentiful springs of distress. This religion brings distress. Though so profound a double dealer, now by double dealer, if you know the story at all, you've got Jekyll and Hyde, the same person who becomes either this terrible evil person or this do-gooder kind of person, but all in the same person, this, the, these two people living inside him. Though so profound a double dealer, I was in no sense a hypocrite, both sides of me were in dead earnest. I was no more myself when I laid aside restraint and plunged into shame than when I labored in the eye of the day at the furtherance of knowledge or the relief of sorrow and suffering. So, so what happens in the story is he ends up concocting this potion so that when he drank this potion, this, is this brilliant uh, Dr. Jekyll, when he drank this potion he could actually kind of cast off all religion and switch into this evil, like total evil, Mr. Hyde. And then what he could do is drink the potion again, and he'd turn back into the good guy again, drink the potion he could be. So he thought, well, I'll just relieve the tension, let Mr. Hyde do whatever Mr. Hyde wants to do, let Dr. Jekyll do whatever he wants to do, and we don't have to be at war at all. I'll just be two different people. I'll just keep drinking this potion back and forth, and if you've read the story, you know it turns out pretty badly. Um, But here's the important thing, and this is why I really do believe it leads us into Romans 7. Jekyll felt that the hard law of life, which lies at the root of religion, was keeping him back from that part of him that wanted to just lay aside restraint and plunge into shame. He felt like religion, this this code, was like holding him back from something. And if he could just disregard that, then he'd be happy, right? Well... It it goes bad. It goes really bad. And it actually kind of introduces into us this same idea. Guys, this is where really good literature helps us because it allows you to look in the mirror. I think we're in a lot of the same way often, many of us. We're a hot mess, honestly. When you look in the mirror, when you really think this through, and when you let this Jekyll and Hyde kind of like greatest expression of it land on you, understand there is part of the real me, the real me, that wants to do good, wants to turn away from evil, wants to make a contribution. Like Dr. Jekyll, he'd use that laboratory for finding cures for new illnesses, right? There's part of the real you that wants to do good, that wants to be the good little Presbyterian boy or girl and do good in this world, you know, and and, and all that. And I want to do that by some kind of self-mastery. I want to do that by this... L- this law-abiding, right? I'm just going to compel myself to do good, whether that's the Ten Commandments or whatever system you've got in place. I'm going to get myself to really be good. So what happens, though, when you when you let that conscience, that law, that restrictive rule kind of govern you, you do one of two things. You end up either being really defeated and really exasperated because you just can't seem to ever achieve that, that law that you've set for yourself or that others have set for you. Or or even sometimes you become really pious and angry. Think of the older son of the prodigal son story, that older son. Like, who wants to be around that guy that really gets good at mastering himself? And then they just become angry and judgmental, right? So you either go that way or, secondly, you get so kind of exasperated that that you cast it all off and you just plunge into total unrestraint. Trying to just master and, and be a good person and do that good, it actually works the reverse. It makes you an awful person and sometimes causes you to cast it all off and become Mr. Hyde, basically, right? In that way, you guys, religion becomes a taskmaster in every sense that sin does. So here's the thing. You've got your Bible open. You, you know that Romans 6, we just covered Romans 6 in a, in a couple of weeks— Romans 6 talks about sin being that taskmaster, right? There's this force, sin, that just keeps making you do stuff that you didn't want to do, and you become like a slave to sin. Now in Romans 7, he's going to have that same kind of picture in your mind of tyranny, taskmaster, you being a slave, but this time it's law, it's religion. It's this this tyranny of needing to please God on your own, tyranny to have a squeaky, clean conscience before God, before men, to be that good Christian boy or girl, whatever. Again, whether it's the Bible, Ten Commandments, religion, or just some system you've created on your own, here's what I'm saying. Here's the big idea of Romans 7, I believe. Religion, it's like a prison, and only Christ can totally free us. Religion when it comes to just codes of ethics that you got to keep, religion—it's like a prison—and Christ really does want to free us. Okay, so now let's let's look at Romans seven. Now I got you distracted by horror movies and stuff. Uh, let's let's let God free us from that. Romans chapter seven, the very first verse: Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone? as long as he lives. Now that word rules there. It, it, that, that word means to bind you, to, to lord over you. If you let your eyes slip back over to chapter 6, verse 14, he said the same thing about sin. Sin will not rule over you because now you're under not under law but under grace. Here's the thing. He's saying the same thing now about law, about religion. Now again, law might be the law, capital L, law, like law of Moses, 10 commandments. Or it just might be, he's done this back in Romans chapter 2, or it might be, that you've never read the Ten Commandments, that you've got this restrictive sense in your conscience that you're trying to to keep. Either way, law, religion, um, it's it's like a a prison, right? So we all have this bent, you guys, not just towards sin, Romans 6, but towards self-righteousness. Even the worst of us think that we're righteous. I'll, I'll give you an example out of my life. I still remember this. I laughed at myself as this 18-year-old. So I was at college. I was not yet a Christian, and I remember I was uh, riding. Uh, I didn't have a car, so a buddy was taking me back home for the weekend. I don't know what we're going to do, but go back home. And as we're driving, you know, north to Little Osage, he tells me, he goes, oh, man, I was at a party the other night, and I actually tried speed. You know, I was taking this drug speed. And I was just like, Bill, are you kidding me? What are you doing? That's a drug. You can't take drugs. He goes, Jeff, you smoke pot all the time. I was like, that is totally different. You know, like, and I remember just being incensed. You can't compare that. Like, like still, I, I was such a mess in every way. But somehow, in that moment, I had this moral high ground, and it was just ready to cast condemnation on Bill for taking speed for the first time, right? Here's what I'm saying. We all do this. No matter what pitiful state we're in, we have this self-righteousness. We have these standards that we've, we've decided upon, right? And then, here's the problem, then the world, already that's in us, to be self-righteous, condemning of others, then we've got the world kind of throwing kerosene on that thing, right? So some of you were raised in a very religious home, maybe even a very strict religious home. Some of you had religion kind of forced on you, and it felt like shackles on you, right? Or some of you maybe just had a very domineering mom or dad. It wasn't because of the Bible or because of church, but this code of ethics, and you felt like you could never, ever please that mom or dad. Or maybe some of you had um, a real tyrant of a boss, at some point, and you just felt like they were always hawking over you. You can never please that boss, right? Maybe you had all the above, right? There were some of you lucky enough to have had all all the above. I remember remember one boss I had. (laughs) I had so many jobs going through college, just trying to make my way through. And one of the jobs, I was working at this retail store, and the guy told me, all of us, he was just this tyrant of a boss. And at Christmas time, if somebody bought an article of clothing, you could give them a gift box if they bought a full-priced item, but you could not give a gift box if they bought a sale item. Well, I remember this lady came in. You could tell she was kind of, kind of poor, and she was scraping it together to buy this sweater for her son, you know, and just this really wonderful, so I helped her find a sweater, blah, 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 sales, and right before she left, she goes, oh, is there any way I could get a gift box? And I'm in that moment, right? And I actually kind of look around. I'm like, totally, you can't. I slip this gift box into her bag, right? Well, little knowing, the boss is like literally hawking, like looking right around the corner, like he did all of us, but looking around the corner. So she leaves. He comes storming around the corner, you know, and he comes running up. I'll never forget this, opens the cash register, there's all these other people still in, opens the cash register, grabs a bunch of coins, throws them at my feet, literally throws them at my feet and goes, that's what you're doing, aren't you? Just throwing my money away, throwing my money away. And I'm standing there like, ding, 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 you know, dimes rolling around my feet, you know. So some of you have had, you know, tyrannical authority figures over you and you know exactly what I'm talking about, Right. We are trained, we are trained with our own inner voice and then often with other voices around us to think about every word you're going to say, every move I'm going to make. Am am I ever going to please them, right? Whether it's, again, yourself or this system over you. Here's what I'm saying. Romans 7 wants to free you from this inescapable cycle of not being able to please yourself or anybody else around you. Jesus has come to free us from that tyrant. So he starts off teaching us by giving us an example. So look at verse two, because he starts off, for example, right? That's how you know you've got an example coming. He says that, okay? So verse two, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living. Well, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. Then if she's married to another man, she's not an adulteress, right? She's, she's got a new husband. So here's the thing. I think what he's actually trying to say here, he's giving an example. He's not trying to teach us about marriage or divorce or adultery. He's actually just trying to give us an example to fix something in our mind. When you're married, here's what I think he's saying. When you're married, guys. Your spouse exerts the most influence in your life as any other human on the earth. When you're married, that other person with you, and he's not even being real kind of misogynistic or something about, you know, men ruling over women. No, no, no. I think he could actually have switched the roles, husbands and wives around, and gotten the, the same point across. What he's trying to say is, when you're married, that other person, that spouse that you have, exerts an incredible amount of force on you, right? So you think differently about everything when you're married. This is like rightly so. Um, Every decision you make, the friends that you end up hanging out with, hobbies that you take on, the way you spend your money, like almost everything goes through the filter of, I've got this partner in life, this, this spouse, right? So as long as you're married to that person, right, that is true. But if you become a widow or a widower, that force, that compelling force and those ways of doing things disappear, right? And then if you end up wanting to get married, you once again have a different set of kind of rules and ways. And some of you have had more than one spouse. You know this, right? Everything has to change and adjust because you've got a different kind of person, a different kind of Ways to do things that are setting in your life. I think that's what he's trying to say. I believe that what Jesus is wanting us to know is that we have kind of been naturally married to this system of law, but now he wants to come in and say, oh no, that's dead to you. I've got a whole new way of living. Because that's what he goes on to say. Now look, look with me at verse 4. Therefore, having given you this example of marriage, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relationship to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, right? Get remarried. You, you belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, at first, this seemed like a very confusing verse. I think it might be the most important verse, maybe in this whole chapter, which is a glorious chapter, but I think this verse might be one of the most important ones you have a very different spouse now, like air quotes, you know, spouse now, right? That old system of law that, that, that tyrannized you, right, that you could never please, that now imagine, and like I know a guy right now who's got a spouse like this, <laughs> like can never ever, you can just see it in everything, it's just weighing him down, weighing him down, because nothing he does can, can ever please this spouse. What, what Paul's saying is, hey, no, 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 gone, you don't have that tyranny over you anymore, right? That law that you couldn't please, gone. And this is the glorious. This is where it becomes really magical. This is where gospel kind of magic, supernatural power starts showing up, right? Now you're married to someone who is incomparable to that former spouse. In fact, Jesus, your, your kind of new spouse, frees you from being haunted by all of your failures. He wants to free you from that constant condemnation, that constant feeling of I'll never you know, please him. No, no, he frees you from that. In fact, look what he says. He died having taken your failures onto himself. Not only did he not stand over you just constantly reminding you of your failures, he took your failures into himself. He goes, I'm not afraid of those at all. I love you so much in spite of those. I'm gonna remove those out of you. I'm gonna absorb those into my own self and die so that you never have to face those again, right? That's the kind of spouse Jesus is. I'm looking at all your glaring weaknesses. I'm seeing all those ways that you can't even hold the standard that you have set for yourself, well alone God's standard, right? I know you're an utter failure, and guess what? I love you anyway. I'm not going to keep putting those in front of you. In fact, I'm going to absorb them into myself and die for your sins, for your inadequacies, for your weaknesses, and now here's the real miracle that, that he points to in this, that you could bear fruit for God. He actually, you guys, miraculously, this is gospel magic again. This is what happens. It's not you fighting to do good. He breathes new life into you. He, he absorbs your sin, dies for those, and then whew, breathes new life into you so that you can actually bear fruit for God. You guys, and, and then all of a sudden, doing good things starts happening almost naturally, almost spontaneously, like before you even know what's happening. Think, think about an apple tree. Think about a tree that's growing up, and it doesn't know it's an apple tree, right, because it's young, and it hasn't gotten old enough to bear any fruit. And it's, you know, sitting there now with its arms out, its branches out, and all of a sudden, poop, this little apple comes out. And he's just like, Frank, look what happened. This is, I, I think, there's another one. I'm all There's this fruit growing on my arms. You know, it's like, that kind of thing where you're bearing fruit for God, but it's not because you're working at it. In fact, you barely even know it's happening. God is supernaturally, super supernaturally, magically kind of making it, and it happens. Get this, without guilt, without shame, without duty, without standing over you. Better put an apple on there, you know. No, it's not. It's just happening spontaneously. No longer that kind of nagging spouse of the law, forcing you to do this. This is happening because he's breathing new life. So look at that next verse, verse 5. You're bearing fruit for God, he said, in verse 4. Now, verse 5. Remember, when you were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to actually do the opposite, bear fruit for death. Like, he's saying, remember the opposite before Christ, When you were in the flesh, when you didn't have brand new, new life coming at you from Jesus, when you were still just in your flesh, those sinful passions that aroused through the law, they bore fruit, but fruit that brought death. Here's what I think he's saying, guys. That tyrant law, religion, codes of ethics, so evil is that, that force that we've made it that we constantly found ourselves, you know, so it's, think about it like this. It's like the law is saying, don't you do this, don't you that. Take a beautiful lawn with a little sign that says, no trespassing, don't step on the lawn. But it's like the most lush, green lawn. What does seeing that sign make you want to do? Man, I right, I'll, just a little bit, I'll just, 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 just touch it, right? And then pretty soon you're on it, you're rolling around it, whatever. Like, like you guys have all had the, the two-year-old or whatever, like, grabs the gumball you know before don't you take that don't you take that don't no don't don't and the more you say don't the more that kid's like what is in that gumball that they so don't want me to have that right right it's the law is actually creating a hunger in you to do the very thing so right so either you got two choices and this is what the law does this is why it's such a kind of an evil tyrant here's what the law does You either keep yourself from doing it, like, no, I'm not going to take, you know, and so you're living in constant agony, because you want to put that thing in your mouth, but you know you shouldn't. So you're either living in agony because of the law, or you fully give in, and then, you know what, you know what happens? The law then just condemns you. See, I knew you were weak. I knew you'd do it, right? Then you feel this condemnation constantly. Either way, the law is just an evil tyrant. He's saying... When you were in the flesh, here's what the law did. Just enticed you to do bad, made you agonize when you didn't give in to your passions, and when you did, condemned you for having done it. There's no way to win, right? So that's why he's saying, oh no, come to the gospel, come to Jesus. Look at verse six, this is so glorious because now we're free, we're free. Now we've been released from the law Since we've died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Guys, that word released there, now we've been released. Look back at chapter 6 and verse 6, because he says the same thing about sin back there. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. That's the same word, rendered powerless, so you don't have to be enslaved to sin anymore. Well, now he's saying the same thing about law. We've been released. It, it's been powerless now over us because we've died to what held us. It held us back that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit. Newness of the Spirit. So here's the thing, guys. This is where the magic of the gospel really comes through. I, I want you to look at Galatians 5. I'll have, I'll have this on the, on the screen for you as well. The, what is this newness of the Spirit? Here's what I'm saying. This is what starts happening spontaneously when you embrace the gospel, when Jesus actually comes and breathes new life. Here's what it says in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's what he's talking about, the fruit of the Spirit, the newness of the Spirit, it's love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, man, the law isn't against such things, right? This new law. Here's what I'm saying by that, guys. All of a sudden, when you stop working and thinking, I've got to do better, I've got to just please this conscience. And this is, No, when you actually give your life to Christ and he whew, breathes new life into you, you know what starts coming out? Instead of apples on a tree, the fruit of the Spirit, all of a sudden... Without you even having to agonize over it, suddenly this transformation happens. And you've known people like this, right? You've known people that step from darkness into light. And you're watching this. All of a sudden, they become a person of love and joy and peace. Man, there was nothing but anxiety before. There was nothing but just, you know, constant warning. All of a sudden, no, no, actually, peace, patience kindness you find yourself you know kindness looks like something like other people suddenly become recipients of grace and mercy kindness you'd start doing good not because somebody you better do it you better clean your room you know it's not because you've got a tyrannical boss over you you want to be kind because the spirit is inside you bring goodness faithfulness gentleness even self-control you find yourself being like oh i actually i don't have to give into that anymore not because you're like, no, don't, 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 don't. Now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that that bad habit just kind of dropped off me. Not because I was agonized, but because, wow, I got new life breathed into me. The Spirit is recreating me, right? Guys, Romans 7, that's as far as we're going to go today in Romans 7. Whatever I've messed in your mind with you, uh, Ryan will be up here to clear up next week as he covers the rest of Romans 7. Because this, this is some tough stuff to, to understand what he's trying to say. But here's here's what I here's what I believe. And even the reason I started with this Jekyll and Hyde thing. The fatal mistake that Dr. Jekyll, the character Dr. Jekyll, literally fatal, like if you read the book, literally fatal mistake, is that both self-imposed duty-bound law religion and unrestrained sin both lead to death. That's what Romans 6 and Romans 7 are trying to say. Whether you're just given to be Mr. Hyde or be this restrained doctor, both of those paths on your own, in the flesh, that's the way he used it, in the flesh, leave God out, leave the Spirit out, leave Jesus out, you in the flesh Either way you go, it leads to death. And here's what I'm saying. Jesus put to death the power of sin, Romans 6, and the power of the law in order to recreate you, breathe new life into you. Here's the key to unlock that power in your life. You have to admit that you're a Jekyll and Hyde you have to look in the mirror and realize what a hot mess you are and admit it. If you really want to unleash this kind of power in your life, the very first step is to say, I'm a mess. Here's what I'm saying. All of you can relate to one, likely both of these scenarios. Those times that you've said, I'm just going to throw off any kind of restraint. I'm just going to be Mr. Hyde. I'm just going to give myself to that thing that I want to do that I know I shouldn't do. I'm going to give myself fully to it. That's what's going to make me happy. Just getting rid of the restraints, that's what's going to make me happy. How'd that work out for you? How did it work out for you when you just gave in to every impulse of your desires, unrestrained? How'd that work out for you? Conversely, how did, how did it work out for you when you were trying your hardest to be that good boy, that good girl? How did it work for you when you thought, I can do this. I can master this. How did that make you feel? I'll tell you what it did. It either made you so anxious and exasperated or made you an angry, pious, older brother like in the prodigal son story, right? Nobody wants to be around you. You lack any fruit of the spirit because you're so tyrannized by law. I'm actually going to go, as I close it up here, to the couple of verses that follow. I love the verses that follow that whole thing back in Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. Because here's what he says right after that, back in Galatians 5. He says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have actually crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let's just keep in step with the Spirit. Here, here's what I, I love and why I think it matches so well what's going on in Romans 7. Guys, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is, is when we look in the mirror and say, oh man, I am the hot mess of Jacqueline Hyde. That is me. Jesus, the only thing I bring to you is brokenness. <laughs> the only thing I bring to you is a terrible track record of me trying to do this on my own. That's what I bring. And you don't find condemnation in his eyes. You don't find him sitting there waiting, tapping his foot, waiting for you to get it together. No, you know what you find? You find, oh yeah, I know. In fact, I know worse things about you than you even know. And I love you. And I'm willing to take all of your brokenness and all of your sin and all of your religion that kept failing you. It's kind of pathetic watching you try to do that on your own. But I, I'm, you know what? Whew, I'm going to absorb that all in myself. And then I'm going to breathe new life into you. I'm actually going to recreate a brand new person in you. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself being patient and kind and gentle. But it's not going to be you. In fact, you're going to be more shocked than anybody else that that's the kind of person you're becoming, right? Right. Because it's going to be by my spirit, you're going to be a new person. And all of a sudden, that apple tree is going to start bearing apples, kind of whether it wants to or not, because my spirit is going to be now flowing with new life. But here's what it requires. Keep in step with the spirit. Like, man, I I just want to know this, this God better and better. Not because i got to read my Bible every day, but I'm like, man, I want to keep in step with what does real life look like what does walking with Jesus really look like? I I, I just want to keep in step. I, I just want to know this God who has done so much for me. So what I want to do, I, I just want to have a moment of prayer. We've got just a few moments just for you to really let this land in your own soul. So before we go on into worship, I want to give a little bit extra time for prayer. So will you will you stand with me? And I... Yeah, let's, let's go into a moment of prayer. and I first just want to, I want to extend an invitation to anybody. If you're here right now, in this text, this supernatural word from God, it's like you're the only one in the room and you're like, that's me. I just want you to know that's true it is like you're the only one in the room because that's God's Spirit like tapping awakening you to truths that you maybe didn't even know that you needed and are now like the only thing that you can think about this is your moment this is that critical moment for you to take that step forward and say Jesus I believe i came in here not even realizing when i needed to hear and now you're telling me what i absolutely needed to hear i believe you open up your hands open up your arms open up your heart and soul and say jesus thank you for your love take me take this pathetic person that i am And breathe new life into me. I want to be that new person, but I can't do it. I never have been able to do it. And then, guys, there are some who made that decision to begin a new journey of faith long ago. But, guys, we can fall into old habits all over again, right? We we can start, yeah, just living like we had never heard this stuff. This is our day also to come clean. Jesus, thank you for not just loving us and forgiving us one moment in time, but having this ongoing love and ongoing forgiveness. Jesus, by your spirit, will you help us to look in the mirror and let your word do that magical work in us? We want to walk in newness of life. That's what we want. We want to walk as, as as that we're keeping in step with the Spirit. That's what we want, Lord. Bring that to us, Lord. It won't be because we earned it. We didn't. It's because you love us so much. So hear us as we pray now and hear us as we sing. Lord, we love you. But first, thank you for loving us. We pray in your name.